This morning, we are going to do week three of four weeks of the Lord's Prayer before we dive into the parable of the soil. And today we're going to focus on the your kingdom come, thy will be done portion of the Lord's Prayer. So would you stand and we will read it together this morning. Matthew 6, 9 through 13 says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Thank you, you can sit down. Lifeway, sort of a research hub, they did a study on prayer that shed a little bit of light on the temperature of prayer in the U.S. And it addressed how many people pray daily, multiple times a day or weekly. It addressed the topics that people prayed the most for. And out of the studied group, how many claimed to be people of some sort of faith or not, the study shared that one in five non-religious people still pray daily, with the highest number in any generation being 62% of millennials, faith or no faith, still had daily conversations with God privately. And as for the random study, there is a picture that will pop up here of what Americans are praying for. It's a little small, so we'll walk through it. Um, The Bottom 4% have prayed for someone else to fail. 5% someone to get fired. Um, Someone's relationship to end. Success in something you knew wouldn't please God. Uh, Not getting caught speeding. Um, I can vouch for that one. Uh, Finding a good parking spot. Uh, For bad things to happen to bad people. Uh, Your favorite team to win a game. How many of you guys have prayed that today? Already? Yeah, don't, don't be embarrassed. Show your hands. You're on the list. We know you're in here too. Um, <laughs> God to avenge someone who hurt you or a loved one. No one to find out about a bad thing you have done. Success in something you put almost no effort in. Think those tests that you had to take in college. Uh, winning the lottery, your enemies, and people who mistreat you. Um... They are all interesting things to pray for. Um, Not necessarily well represented in the Lord's Prayer. Um, However, except for potentially the praying for your enemies part, but I'm going to guess that based on the whole bad things that happen to bad people and like avenging people who hurt you, that probably the tune of praying for enemies displayed up here is also not probably super scriptural based on the theme of prayers that we have uh, going here. Both parking spots and sports teams got more prayer than politicians and celebrities. With zero prayers being offered for uh, people who don't know Jesus and unhoused or homeless people, which is interesting research for uh, another day, I am sure. But prayer in general is an intense concept. A God who we can't see, who works on behalf of humans, when we sort of put in a request with heaven, to some it makes perfect sense. 
They've prayed, prayers have been answered, and the system, so to speak, works. They are fully bought into this idea that prayer and the relationship that goes along with it is this beautiful, amazing thing. And some are far more skeptical and struggle to see sort of the how and the where of prayers. And a lot of times our personality and our life experiences will be what influences sort of where we land in these camps. Take, for instance, the vast views that our world has on coincidences. There's some quotes about coincidences. I do not believe in meaningless coincidences. There are no coincidences. Everything means something. There are no coincidences, just miracles by the boatload. And if you could see from my vantage point, half of the room was like, yeah, yeah, miracles by the boatload. The other half was like, yeah, right. So if your shoulders did this, or if you're like, yeah, different reactions to this story, the second set of quotes might be yours. Coincidences are just other people's choices, plans you didn't know about. Coincidences are trends that I have decided not to take seriously. Coincidence is just the word we use when we can't see the levers and the pulleys. And the final one, If a coincidence seems amazing, that's because the human mind can't comprehend statistics. The general response to coincidences is similar to our general response to prayer, answered and unanswered. Because both sort of rely on this structure or this framework of unseen faith, belief in something outside of myself. And with the differences of experience in our lives, generation to generation, family of origin to family of origin, the differences that we each encounter, not just in our day-to-day work life, but in our own family patterns and histories, it's not a surprise that prayer has sort of this very wide range of thoughts and feelings and concepts around it as well. And it's understandable, because the big question being asked is can we twist the arm of God? It's a big question at the bottom of all of it. There's a guy named Tyler State, and he wrote a book on prayer, and he says it's a beautiful wonder to hear the stories and believe the power of prayer in tangible, tangible and personal ways, and yet a mystery to be simultaneously drowned in a wave of questions, doubts, and unanswered prayers. And at that intersection is where we find the concept of prayer, being paralyzed between wonder and mystery, and potentially never landing in either camp fully, or really ever getting concrete feelings as to whether or not our prayers hit the ceiling sometimes and come back down, or whether they land at the heart of God every time. But for most of us, regardless, we still pray. The study shows a huge percentage, 
of Americans, people who have faith and people who do not, still have some measure of prayers that go on in their life. But for today's sake, we're not going to try to prove whether or not God will answer your next prayer or how that will go in particular, but we're going to talk about the way that God instructed us to pray. And this particular way this morning is in your kingdom come, thy will be done. Kenneth Bailey shares some observations around the Lord's Prayer. We're going to go over them. The start of the Lord's Prayer has three themes. Making holy the name of God, the coming of the kingdom of God, and the fulfillment of the will of God. The second portion of the Lord's Prayer has three themes as well. Daily bread, forgiveness in community, and freedom from evil. And each of these themes have two primary concepts. The first concept being the work of God, like an act of God, the sort of miraculous side of things. And the second concept being participation from the believer. So these two things are working together. They break down sort of like this. God makes his own name holy, and I am expected to live a holy life. God brings the kingdom, and I work towards the goal of its coming. God fulfills his will, and I discover what that will is and how to follow and obey it. God gives the gift of daily bread, and I work towards that gift of daily bread. He forgives, and I forgive. He guides from evil, and I live towards righteousness. It's both a community identity prayer and a personal identity prayer. In the kingdom come portion in particular, the request of God looks like this. Let it come, thy kingdom, let it be done, thy will. And we're going to spend the majority of the rest of our morning on this particular concept right here. And there's no way that we will cover all of what thy kingdom come means. Again, vast topic with a massive amount of research, a massive amount of scriptures, and a massive amount of concepts that we do not understand yet and may not understand until we get to meet Jesus face to face. And so there will not be a chance that today we will leave saying, I know what the kingdom of God is. And I have no more questions. <clears throat> that will not be happening. But there are sort of some main debates or main arguments or thoughts around this idea of God's kingdom and what exactly it is. So there's three sort of main concepts. The first one being the kingdom of God has already come in the person of Christ, but that same kingdom is still in the future. Luke tells us that if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has already come to you. The sort of concept that the kingdom is now and not yet. The second concept is not as much in timeline, so much as in a physical sense. The kingdom of God is near to us and also far away from us. There are references to the kingdom being near and far in Scripture sort of unspecified reality, a lot of unanswered pieces. The third is this idea in Luke that the kingdom of God is coming, 
and that no one will be able to determine when, with a heavy emphasis on the you will not know when. And this sometimes gets blended with the idea of the end times or we don't know when Jesus is coming. Sometimes those things sort of blend together. And somewhere in all of these sort of paradox situations is the question of what exactly is the kingdom of God? And when we pray, your kingdom come, what exactly are we praying for? Like, what exactly are we asking? We've said it a lot. It's a part of our history, potentially a part of our entire upbringing if it was a prayer that was used in your home from early on. The big question being, what are we praying? What are we asking for? And with that, let's go home. I'm just kidding. (laughs) We'll get there. Uh, So there's this question at hand. I mean, really, I'm not going to answer it for you, so it's up to you. But uh, no, really, some people believe, some people believe that the entire concept of your kingdom come is wrapped up in the concept of salvation as we know it. And this might be a very familiar concept, because there is an idea that your kingdom come, thy will be done, is solely wrapped up in this idea that I prayed the prayer and I gave my life to Jesus. Like, that's the your kingdom come moment. And for some people, that's the theology that exists. But for some, that feels a little bit too personally motivated or too uh, single-focused for the entirety of your kingdom come. And so in those two camps, there can be a differing of opinion, but I think for today we're going to kind of land in the middle of this space. This sense of wholeness that we need to bring to the concept of personal salvation. If the kingdom of God is salvation personal, then the effects should be communal. So we're going to sort of bring it whole big picture in a concept. What this means is that if we experience the salvation of God personally, it cannot actually end there. Because when we live into the greatest commandment of God, that he has left us to love God and to love our neighbor, to experience the kingdom of God and salvation, is for the community or the church or the people, the neighbors, whoever is in that circle for us, to also experience the kingdom of God. To love God and to love our neighbor then translates to all the things that we've talked about for weeks now. To heal the sick, to cast out demons, to care for the widow and the orphan, to give clothes and food to those in need, to offer hope to the hopeless. And because of the communal aspect of the entire Lord's Prayer, it's wise to sort of draw the assumption that thy kingdom come, or your kingdom come, is beyond just me. That would be a a wise sort of assumption for us to draw, that it is both personal and communal. Which becomes sort of clearer in the second part, which is thy will be done. 
the will of God being the goodness of God for all. Now, this is a simplified statement of what the will of God is, but it's sort of like the grand picture boiled down uh, for the sake of this moment. So our prayer for the kingdom of God to come is a prayer for the goodness of God to be communally represented in the now. Kenneth Bailey says this, the creative tension is clarified in the phrase, on earth as it is in heaven. Now this is important because we could take this will of God being the goodness of God for all and just sort of go back to the personal space of saying, I have experienced the salvation of God and now everyone else will be fine when they get to heaven. That would be an easier conclusion to draw if we did not have that on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, the will of God flows like a river that has no barriers to its progress. On earth, however, sin interrupts the flow of God's desire for good for all people. To pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, is to pray that we would collectively not just within our homes, within our churches, but within our cities, within our neighborhoods, to pray that we would collectively experience the goodness of God here on earth like the flowing river that it will be in heaven. But not in a sort of happenstance way. Because I think sometimes when we look at the world, we see the sort of vastness of the bad. And that's partially because of how intense our media has been structured and how the concept of clickbait exists and all of these ways that we get drawn to the headlines and we don't get drawn to the headlines of happy, positive things. And so as a result, the media companies who want to make money and want you to get drawn to them, they give you the most shocking, awful, horrible things that you could possibly find happening on planet Earth every day, all day long. And so what tends to happen is that we look at that vastness and our concept of your kingdom come begins to shrink. And so the more we look at how bad things out there get, the more we look at how much evil is in the world, the more we get bombarded with the stories of hate and hurt, the smaller our concept of your kingdom come becomes. Because we can sense it for me. And I can say, I know your kingdom come means that I have hope or that I have a good whatever, fill in the blank, or that I have kids who go to church or I have whatever your version or your story's uh, picture of your kingdom come is. You can land there and you can land there confidently. But I cannot as easily land in the space that God's kingdom is going to come across the USA let alone the world. I don't even know if I can land there easily for my neighborhood. Because one, I don't know half of them. It's my own fault. And two, there are so many things that feel beyond me. And so we have to watch out for that space where your kingdom comes shrinks. 
And there's a space for each of us, whether it's a certain amount of media intake, whether it's a certain amount of things that friends of yours have experienced. There's a spot where our ability to actively visualize, pray, seek out, and believe for your kingdom come, your will be done. There's a space there where without even recognizing it, it gets a little smaller. And if you think about every time something gets added that is evil, hurtful, hateful in our world, it sort of shrinks that view of sort of the act of God and my participation. And eventually it becomes all an act of God, none of my participation. And the act of God is just sort of like, if you will, do anything about this. And those are spaces as a church that we need to watch out for. They are spaces as a church that we need to be aware of. To say, have we made the concept of your kingdom come all about personal salvation? Have I made your kingdom come, thy will be done, about me and only me? Because I've prayed the prayer, and your kingdom come is sort of my own repentance. And your will be done is sort of, you asked me to go to college, so I'm going to college. Or whatever it is in our story. So has our concept of your kingdom become shrunk with the influences of the evil around us? Because that's where we also land in this sort of happenstance space. If it happens, it happens. I guess if your kingdom comes, it comes. I guess if your will be done, you can make it happen. But we can't negate the two concepts of an act of God and my participation. So when we pray for your kingdom come, we are praying personally to be transformed by the goodness of God, and then we are committing thy will be done to seeking it for our entire neighborhood. That goodness of God for all. In the kingdom of God, it does not evolve out of culture. The kingdom of God is deeply, deeply rooted in love and goodness that ideally comes from a church that is loving and participating in the goodness the way that God has asked us to. The kingdom of God does not evolve out of politics. There is nothing that we can vote in or change that will replace the goodness of the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is deeply rooted in the love and goodness that comes through the church when it is doing the love and goodness the way that God asks us to do it. The kingdom of God does not evolve out of my participation alone. There's that sort of flip side of the, it's all God, I've got nothing, i got to go back to wherever my salvation was just me and God because there's nothing I can do about any of this. The flip side is that it does not evolve solely out of my participation. And I could work as hard as I could possibly work for as long as I could possibly work and without an act of God, we would not see the goodness of God for all. 
And so there's this sort of beautiful both and that we have to sit in. This your kingdom come personally and communally. Your will be done personally and communally. And for us, that looks like being transformed personally by the power of God and knowing that that's not where it stops. The next step is for us to see those around us transformed by the power of God too.